Are you reading between the lines, Rick? She doesn't want you around her. <laughs> She's trying to be very diplomatic, Rick, but you're not taking the hint. I don't think it has anything to do with that. Just going out on a limb. Well, good morning. I, I'm just go. Go ahead and visit for a second. I'm just. I'm really just standing here trying to, trying to get my mind wrapped around something. So, don't don't just sit there and stare at me. I'm just going to. So I made mention of this a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> and, and so I'm just, I'm just trying to get a little bit of an, an idea here. So we're going to take, we're not going to do it Labor Day. We're not going to start Labor Day because that's just not a great day to start. But the Sunday after, which would be the 11th, we're going to take four weeks um, in Sunday school. And I'm going to have all the men in here and we're going to have a ladies class for four weeks. And so I'm trying to get an idea how many ladies there are so, so I can figure out <clears throat> where the best place is to put the ladies' class. Carol Peterson is going to teach, and we've already talked about that. I've offered her the auditorium, but she would rather not be in the auditorium. So I'm just trying to figure out how, about how many seats I need to, uh, to work. So that's all I'm doing. That's why I said I'm just kind of working something through in my own mind. So, uh, so that's a few weeks out. And, and I'm doing it, you know, I will, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about uh, what's going on there, but I don't want to wait till I get to the end of this series on Providence because I just really don't have any idea how long I'm going to continue on in this, and so we're just going to kind of plug that in early in September, and, and then we'll come back to this. All right, let's go ahead and pray. I have a variety of verses to look at today, so I don't know that we're going to start, uh, well, we'll start in Romans 5, but that's just... You know, we'll, we'll bounce around quite a bit. So let's go to the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand who you are and who we are um, so that we might be rightly related to you in our conduct, in our understanding, in our activity in this world. So we pray, please, that you would help us to that end. And I ask this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so... <clears throat> Uh, in, in Sunday school, we're doing the subject of providence, which I would loosely define as the activity of God's sovereignty in the world, that God is actively working all things to his own purposes. Um, and he is doing that, of course, through the inanimate components of creation, uh, the weather and the climate and all of those things. And he is doing it through his actual creation, through the living things of his creation, which even includes animals. Um, you know, Balaam had the talking donkey, and, and certainly includes us. And when we begin to think about that, then that brings us kind of into two um, maybe kind of philosophical realms that touch on providence. And one is uh, 
where does evil <clears throat> fit into that world? Um, and so we've explored that. And again, we're dealing with these things really rather quickly and I don't want to say superficially, but, but really pretty quickly and rather simply. There are, on both of these subjects, volumes written and there is great uh, disagreement um, and I'm really kind of presenting to you without getting all into those disagreements. I'm just kind of presenting to you uh, the position that I would take, that I would understand the Bible to be teaching, which is that God is actively engaged in specifics um, in the lives of his people and even in the lives of all people, not necessarily those that are his um, there was, for me, I'm just going to mention this, there was a number of years back, it's kind of waned, but there was a big um, debate about what is known as open theism, uh, which was the argument that God cannot know things that have not yet happened, and so that God functions very much like we do in some areas. He, Since you don't know what you're going to do, and he doesn't know what you're going to do, he can't possibly address what you're going to do until you do it. Um, most Bible believers rejected that, but it nevertheless ran through the ranks. Um, and then, of course, there are just going to be those who are going to take kind of an intermediate position, which is that, of course, God knows everything, but he does not necessarily direct everything. Um, and by that, I mean he knows what I'm going to do, but he would not necessarily be the instigator of what I do. I don't really think that's where the Bible leaves us, but that then brings us to the next question, which kind of works in conjunction with that, which is, if God really does sovereignly control all things, like we saw in Isaiah chapter 10, where he is putting Sennacherib up to things that Sennacherib thinks are his idea, <clears throat> are we then really free? If God really controls every detail and is working individually and directly in the lives of his people, are we then really free? Are we not just a collection somehow of either robots or puppets? And and right, and so I, I've just kind of I've never I don't know that I've ever really thought a lot about this, and in the limited time that I've thought about it and addressed it, I think that we have to give a fair amount of credibility to God's claim that he is the creator of evil and how he creates evil without himself being evil. To go back to D.A. Carson is not so much a, a problem to be solved, but a framework to be explored. Um, <clears throat> is my human freedom then an illusion? God is using good and evil. God is directing the paths and the activities of all people to bring about his intended end. So am I, am I, is my freedom just simply an illusion? And, and I, I thought very seriously about just leading with that and then saying, no, it's not, and let's move on to something else, because I don't really think that any of us think that in a very real sense. But... <clears throat> But what if it was what if we're not free? What if you're not? I mean, what would it change? What would be different about what we did? What if what if what if I'm not really free to do anything that I did? 
Anything that I did last week was not really my choice, but was the direct intervention of God in his sovereign control. What, 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 would, what would I say to that? I mean, if I became that fatalistic in my life and I said, well, then I'm never going to do anything again because I'm never really free. That wouldn't be a free choice either because I'm not really free to make that choice. So, so this is why I say I don't think that any of us really are prepared to go to that level of despair that, that we are not free, that, that God makes every decision through us and for us, through us, and that we are just simply puppets. But it does rear its head pretty regularly. In, in, in biblical debates, in, in controversies about biblical decision-making, um, and particularly with reference to some ways of understanding how God works to save people, it is pretty easy to find people who come to the conclusion, well, then, then you don't really have a choice, and, and we'll, we'll touch on that. So, right? so, so here's what I would say. Um, and again, there is... It's a good book. I'm not saying that it's a fun read, but D.A. Carson's Divine Sovereignty, Human Responsibility is a good book that explores all the ways that this works. But it, it really wouldn't be anything you'd put on your summer fun reading list. Um, but he, he deals with it very thoroughly and very extensively. All right. <clears throat> so, so here's what I would say. We are certainly free. But we all understand that our human freedom operates in a very limited and a very qualified way. And most of the things that I'm about to walk us through, even unbelieving people would understand, right? Human beings are, by their very nature, folks, finite. And therefore, by our very nature, our freedom is not absolute. God's freedom is absolute. God can do anything that he wants to do. And there is no boundary to him doing anything that he wants to do. And we say, well, yeah, but the Bible says that he cannot lie. And it's true, the Bible says that he cannot lie. But neither does he want to lie. I mean, I would make the argument he has no need to lie, but for him, it's, it's never a decision to be made. Should I tell the truth here or not? God does everything that he wants to do. That is not true of us. That is not the human condition. Humans are finite beings. And so anytime we talk about our freedom, or the freedom of our will, or the freedom of our actions, we are always talking about it, folks, with kind of this fundamental background of understanding that our freedom is, is finite. It is not infinite. So I want to start with one of the areas, I don't want to say that it, well, it is controversial, not that we fight about it at Westwood Heights Baptist Church, but I just kind of, I just kind of want to talk through this. All right, so let me, let me just, right, so when I say we're free in a limited, qualified way, let me kind of walk through some of the, what, what I'm thinking, okay? There are a variety of areas over which we have no control and no input. They're just the way things are. First of all, we have absolutely no control over whether or not we are constituted as sinful. 
And that's why I said we'll begin in Romans 5. If you want to look at it, many of you could no doubt quote it. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, teaches what, we, what is sometimes called the doctrine of original sin. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And the argument that is being advanced there is not an emphasis upon my individual sin and your individual sin. It is the emphasis of the argument in Romans 5.12 is that the entirety of the human race sinned in Adam. Since everybody comes from Adam and Adam sinned, then everybody is constituted a sinner by, by nature of the fact that they are born in Adam. And you have no input as to that. And I would argue that you have no control over that. You are by nature a sinner. To be a human being is to be a sinner. It is to be, in biblical words, perverted, twisted. Now, <clears throat> there's great debate over the extent of that which is one of the reasons that churches like ours would talk about total depravity. And all that we mean by total depravity is that every component of your humanity is tainted by sin. Certainly our physical demeanors are tainted by sin. Our bodies get sick. And sometimes we have physical deformities and we develop physical ailments. Of greater controversy is whether or not our wills and our understanding is sinful. In other words, I know that my body is sinful. We all know that our bodies are sinful. But is my intellect sinful? Or my decision-making capacity, is it sinful? And of course, I would argue, and I believe that the Bible teaches that every component of our being is sinful. That my appetites tend to tr tend towards that which is evil. And my thinking tends towards that which is evil. And my emotions tend towards those which are evil. That my depravity is total. It is complete. Now... <clears throat> And so I'm just going to throw this out, and I really don't want us to, to bog down into this, but right when, when we get into this kind of conversation about human freedom, one of the expressions that we frequently use is free will. And I would just point out to you that depending upon who you're talking to, right, free will is going to have a wide range of meanings to a wide range of people. For instance, we are not but you have probably heard of free will Baptist. A free will Baptist would take exception to what I just said in large part because he believes that the choice about whether or not to remain a sinner is entirely within your power all by yourself. He would also believe that you can walk away from your salvation one time. I mean, you can look this up, folks. There Right? That's why I just, we just need to be cautious when we come into this subject matter, folks. Look, we understand this, right? I mean, and I realize that we're not all theologians or want to be, but we understand that vocabulary sometimes has 
specific meanings. And free will is one of those words that has very specific meanings. And we just, I just would encourage us to be careful about it because we do not really think that the Bible teaches that kind of freedom of the will. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> we don't have any control over whether or not we are constituted as sinful human beings. We are sinners by nature. Secondly, we do not have any control over our gender. God created man in his own image, and the image of God created to him, male and female created he them. And I would just point out this pastoral caution, if you haven't thought of it, the world is not engaged in transgenderism either. Folks, science isn't turning girls into boys. Science is turning girls into eunuchs. Science isn't turning boys into girls. Science is turning boys into eunuchs. They may have, my wife and I were watching a television show last night. She said to me, is that a boy or a girl? Right? We've all had that kind of conversation. And I looked and said, not sure. Some of the most obvious dimensions of female anatomy are missing, but there's a whole lot of female characteristics being shown. She said, I wonder if they're transitioning. But we've yet to reach the place right, in which we're having genderless children born to genderless people. We don't get to choose our gender. You were born a, born a girl or you were born a boy and you didn't get asked whether you wanted to be one or the other. You were just, that was the way that you were born. And even when our children were born, right? Even when our children were born, the, the ultrasound of finding out the birth of the child was was not standard practice. We found out when our children were born. Oh, it's a boy, it's a girl, right? And, but, but we're born that way. Thirdly, we don't have any control over when and where we are born. Right? Our, we are passive in our entering into the world. And the Bible is very clear about this. If you want to turn to it, Acts chapter 17, verse number 24, Paul, this is part of his sermon there on Mars Hill, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord, master of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Verse number 26, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed. Right? He, is the, he is the author of the stages of history and the bounds of their habitation. In other words, we could make the argument that you were lived in the United States most likely because you were born to parents who lived in the United States, who were citizens of the United States. But when you trace that back all the way back, it is because God made you to be born in the United States of America. And 95% of the people in the world, by the way, folks, are not Americans. 95% of the world's population is not American. And this is something that is completely out of our control and over which we have no input. 
Number four, we have no control over certain aspects of our physical nature. We have no control over certain aspects of our physical nature. In Matthew 6.27, Jesus asked this question, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? Which, by the way, you'll notice is something he didn't ask about our weight. And so today, you will probably be exposed to something in the vicinity of 10,000 pieces of information about how to lose weight and virtually none about how to grow an inch. There are just some aspects of our physical creation over which we have no control. I mean, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm really not trying to be funny. We, we can, right? And again, I'm really not trying to be funny, okay? You know, being bald, you're the, you're the butt of all the bald jokes. But isn't it fascinating, folks, that in the Old Testament, God devoted several paragraphs to describing whether or not that was a disqualifying condition for a priest? And that's really what he's doing. He's walking through a range of disqualifying physical attributes. Okay, If you have this physical disability, you can't be a priest. But if you're bald, that's not a disqualifying physical attribute. That's okay. Right, so And those are things, you don't really have any control over the color of your eyes. These days you can go down and get a pair of contact lenses, right? Just like these days we can tint our hair color. But we don't really have any fundamental control over certain aspects of our physical nature. Neither do we have control over certain aspects of our intellectual nature. I was cleaning out my shed this year, something I try to do every year because <clears throat> I have a small shed and my wife insists on buying more tools than can fit in it. <laughs> you know, she'll come home and say, look, it was just, it was a good deal and I thought it was a tool you'd use, so I got it for you. And I go, where am I going to put this one? So I, every year, every year I clean out the shed and, and pray for the miracle of being able to fit more tools into the same space. And so I'm looking at, because I have a collection of tools that are designed to help you figure out easily, painlessly, and miraculously the correct angle for any cut that you want to make. And I'm looking at all these, and I, and I came to this realization at the ripe old age of 65 that the problem really wasn't the tools. The problem is, is that when I look at an angle... It is like looking into a dark hole. And so I'm always looking for the next tool that will bring light to the problem of what an angle is and how to cut an angle. And I have miscut many angles in my life. Right? We all have some limitations over which we have no control. We just... <clears throat> Right, And, and we're, we'll get to this, because this is one of those areas in which we are not completely without resources. But our fundamental ability to learn is determined and set by God. In Exodus 31.2, in the construction of the tabernacle, 
God said, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones, to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. Why did one man get all those talents? I don't know. Right? What I know is this, is that those, re- those abilities were outside of his hands and the guy who stood next to him who didn't have those gifts, that was out of his hands as well. We are limited without input or control over certain areas of our intellect. We just do not all learn the same. We just do not all have the same ability. This lie that we keep telling generation after generation of young people that you can be anything you want to be if you will just put your heart to it is just simply not true, folks. We can't all be anything we want to be. So we have no absolute control over certain aspects of our physical being or certain aspects of our intellectual being, nor even over our spiritual being. Romans chapter 12, in verse number 3, So I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. So here is God's message to all of us, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, the metric of faith. Again, we will talk about this, right? I can ask the Lord to increase my faith, but my freedom does not extend to just simply having as much faith as I want, no matter what I do to torture the scriptures, nor as much brains as I want, no more than I just have the ability to declare myself to be six foot two and 165 pounds. And in our world, that simple declaration means everybody now needs to bend over backwards and acknowledge me as such. But God doesn't play that game. So our freedoms are very limited. And in fact, we have no idea how long we will live. Ecclesiastes 9.12, For man also knoweth not his time. As the fishes that are taken in the evil net and as, are, as birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. He's not talking here about dietary considerations or hereditary considerations. Solomon is talking about the fact that nobody knows when they will die from an unexpected evil. I still remember... This was 1979. I went to Midwestern Baptist College in the fall of 1979, was there for one year. And as we approached graduation, and Midwestern was a pretty small college. It was maybe a couple couple of hundred students in total. But one of the young men who was getting ready to graduate about a week before graduation was killed in a car crash. Man knoweth not his time. He's, He's like a fish taken in a net. He's like a bird taken in a trap. We just, we just don't know that. And in fact, folks, I think that we all know this, that, that God takes a great offense when we presume upon anything other than the moment we have. 
both the Old Testament and the New Testament, give us that caution, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Why not? For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. So when we talk about freedom as a human being, when we talk about those things that we can do and that we can control, there's a lot that we can't control, not even how long we will live. And neither, and this is the final one, and I saved it for last because I'll use it to transition us a little bit. Neither do we have any real control over the consequences of our actions. And to me, this is one of the great distinctions, one of the great dividers in human freedom. I do have real human freedom. And I have real choice about the things that I do. But God chooses what the consequences of those things will be. Now, again, human beings spend a lot of time trying to prevent certain consequences and avoid certain consequences. In other words, lots of people try to commit crimes and yet not get caught. But we don't really, in a real sense have the freedom to choose the consequences of our actions. So those are parts of things, and maybe it's not an exhaustive list, but they're things over which as a human being, no matter, right, no matter how much I talk about my freedom and my liberty and my maturity, there are just lots of areas over which I have no control when I was born, how long I will live, what gender I was, what country I was born in, my native intellectual abilities, my physical predispositions, those are all out of my control. But there are things, folks, that are within our sphere of control that God grants to us out of His ability as our Creator There are things that are legitimately decisions and actions that we take and that we make. For instance, you have no control over where you were born, but you have control over where you live. I mean, I realize that there are instances where we're praying for the Lord's will about where we should live or we feel like the Lord is moving us, but... You know, I don't want to get into all of that, but I would just make the argument for that for the most part, we live where we want to live. And if we're not living where we want to live, we're thinking about what we're going to have to do to live where we want to live. All of which to say, folks, I would take the fundamental position that my human will is very real and it is mine. And... That's no reflection upon the providence of God or interference with the sovereignty of God. In God's power, he has created me with an ability to think and act and desire on my own. And in our world, this should not come as a gigantic shock to any of us because we're watching human beings explore the possibilities of artificial intelligence. 
We're asking ourselves if we have the ability to create a machine that has the capacity to think for itself, why should it shock any of us that God has the ability to create a creation that can think for itself? And that is how I think that it works. So I don't control where I was born, but I control over where I live. And I do not control how long I will live, but I have a lot of control over the lifestyle that I embrace. But even that, by the way, folks, is going to be viewed through the lens of God's providence. And I've told you this. I have two friends. They are both pretty Calvinistic, so they're both very heavy on the sovereignty of God. They're very heavy on God controlling things. One guy is very insistent that because God is sovereign and because God is providential and because of the way that God works in humanity, that we have a responsibility to be very careful and to eat pretty healthy and to take care of our bodies because that is a means that God uses. And the other guy from the same fundamental theological viewpoint goes, I'm going to live as long as God wants me to live, so pass me the chili fries. My point is simply this, right? I mean, we could have, we could have and it would be a never-ending debate. Am I going, is God going to let me live as long as I live because of my lifestyle or in spite of it? I have no control over how long I live, but I have control over how I do live while I'm alive. And the Bible speaks to me regularly and repeatedly and pointedly about that particular area, right? How will you live? How will you live? You don't have any control over being a man or a woman, but you have some control over what kind of a man or a woman you are. You don't have any control over being an American or being an African or being a Peruvian, but you have some control over what kind of person you are. And these are the things that God directs our attention to, even to the matter of salvation. The Bible speaks to me most pointedly. Right? We, I've already read portions of, of Paul's sermons, sermon on Mars Hill that God appointed men to the period of history in which they live. He has set the bounds of their habitation. He has established national boundaries. He has done this to maximize man's ability to be saved. And now, verse number 30, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth, which means he keeps on giving this command, that all men everywhere to repent. That's a command. That's a command. And I would argue, even and perhaps especially from my Calvinistic viewpoint, that this command is binding and valid, that God keeps commanding men to repent and to believe on Jesus. Because I would understand that entire Calvinism and Arminian debate to be about what is going to be the influence to move your decision? Not about the fact that you have no decision to make, which is frequently a way that Calvinism is criticized. Well, it takes the choice out of your hands. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Whether one be at the far Arminian 
side of the scale or at the far Calvinistic side of the scale, folks, we're talking about the same thing. What is going to be the factor that causes you to decide to believe on Jesus? That's all. Because it will be your choice and you will have to choose. And anybody that doesn't choose has already chosen. That's what John has said. He that believeth not is already condemned. He's already made his choice. He's chosen to remain in his state. I control the choices that I make about right and wrong. And and by the way, folks, uh, to interject yet again another editorial, the, 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 the absence of personal responsibility in America is alarming and devastating. That no one is viewed is responsible for their actions. And this is particularly true, if I may be so brazen as to say this, with reference to our relationship with the minorities in this country. But in 2008, an English psychiatrist wrote this about English people. In the current climate, you can't fail as a minority. You can only be failed by others. That was a Brit 15 years ago. I wonder what God thinks about that. Is that really, is that really, and and by the way, this is not academic, folks. This is, right, When, when, when you read about certain conservative people, even if they're not Christian, being expelled from certain social media platforms because of the unpopularity of their message, do you think we're going to continue to be safe? Personal responsibility for one's conduct is at an all-time low, but we are responsible for our behavior. We are responsible for what we do. And by the way, just to go back to that race thing, can I just point out to anybody that might care or might listen that there really are no white people in the Bible? That the first 4,000 years of human history was advanced quite nicely and well along by people who were in no way white, and it really isn't until Paul begins to take the gospel into what we call modern-day Europe that you have your first encounter with people who would truly be Caucasian. The Bible is a book by and about people who we primarily think of as either part of the diversity group or an ethnic minority. And yet all those people are responsible for how they live. And if you didn't pick up on that, there's just, folks, there's just no chance in my mind that Adam was just a white guy. Right? That Adam and Eve were just a white, white American couple minding their own business in the Garden of Eden. Anyway. So again, I have no control over where I was born, but I control where I live. I have no control over when I die, but I have some control over how I live with reference to my health and my diet and my exercise regime. I also have, right, I have control over whether I go to dangerous places and why. Biblically, it's one thing to go to a dangerous group of people to proclaim the gospel. It's another thing to go or hang around a dangerous group of people because you want to go to their party. We are responsible for how we live. We decide to read our Bibles or not. We decide whether we will pray or not. 
We decide whether we will give or not. We decide whether or not we will serve. And the Bible is always speaking to those decisions. But those are decisions that are completely and totally within the realm of your decision making. In other words, folks, I mean, I think we all would understand. We're, we're here today, you're here today sitting in this auditorium because you chose to be. For those who are children, it was chosen on their behalf, but soon enough the day will come when they will make their own choices. Nobody forced you to be here. The Bible never looks at it as if you were compelled to be here. All of the things, if you read your Bible this morning, or if you will read it tonight, or if you read it tomorrow, or if you pray, and what you pray for, and if you give, when you give, and what you give, those are all decisions that are laid at your feet. And there is, of course, God is acting, He is speaking to those things, and He is responding to those things. But you are free in that sense of the word. 2 Timothy 2.7, Paul says to Timothy, consider what I say, consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. There is that never-ending relationship. So, there, so we are free in a very limited sense because we are human beings and we are creations and we are finite and we are mortal. But in the areas that God has given to us freedom and liberty, we are expected to use that freedom and liberty properly. I mean, this is, this is really the essence of what uh, the church services are about, isn't it? We don't, we don't come to church and lament the, the fact that none of us, by worrying about it, can get taller. And you don't really meet anybody that wants to get shorter, do you? I mean, maybe there are a few people, but I've never thought one time in my life, oh, if I could just be four inches shorter. And then let me quickly, just in, in closing... Let me reinforce that by pointing out to you three ways in which the Bible validates that realm of human freedom. First of all, God regularly speaks to you as if you have decision-making capability. We find it in the Garden of Eden. Right? They were deceived. They were not forced. For Eve was deceived. She wasn't forced. They, were, they had complete and total freedom of decision making. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 19, Moses says to the Israelites, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. Right? Which is the way God does. Right? I, I can't control the outcome of my decisions. God says if you make these kinds of decisions, bad things are going to happen. If you make these kinds of decisions, good things are going to happen. Now make the decision. That's, that's what I want you to do. Make the decision. Go to the scriptures. Study the history of God's people. 
Seek out God's wisdom, which I would argue are far more viable ways than waiting for your own personal leading in the vast majority of instances. Study the scriptural record. Study the patterns that God has established. Study what God himself has said. Seek wisdom to understand those patterns and those precepts rightly. Make the decision. God speaks to us as if we have decision-making ability. We all know Joshua 24, 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Secondly, it holds us responsible for the decisions that we make. Now, Paul takes this up in Romans chapter 9, folks, which for the sake of time, I'm not going to read, right? And, and we're not going to go down this road, but the whole, the whole passage of Pharaoh hardening his heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardening Pharaoh's heart is simply an example of the way that God is working while human beings are working in this idea of concurrence. Right? And, and Paul will make the argument in, in Romans chapter 9 that God will have mercy where he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. And immediately on that he will tackle this. Well then that's not fair for him to hold you responsible. And to which God will take great exception. You have no right to lay that at my feet. You are responsible. We are responsible for the decisions that we make. And the Bible talks to us about them. Which brings me to my third reinforcement, right? The Bible talks to you as if you can make decisions. And the Bible is very clear that you're responsible for the decisions that you make. And thirdly, When the decisions that are made are the ones that God would approve, you're rewarded accordingly. In other words, folks, without getting all existential on this, if I'm only a puppet and I can only do what God is directly pulling the string for me to do, then would it not be some sort of an injustice or deception on his part to hold out to me the possibility of a reward for having done it? Why should I be rewarded for something that I could not control? Just like, why should I be penalized for something? I mean, right? I mean, again, seriously, folks, there's no judgment. Right? There's no judgment levied upon people for having a size six foot. You should have had a size nine, and you had a size six, and so you have to suffer. But there is a judgment for where your feet take you. And there is a reward for having your feet take you in the right path. So, so we are free in a very limited sense. I'm going to stop with that. I don't think I said anything we didn't natively know. Um, I just try to deal with it in one lesson. Next week, we're going to return back to the subject of kind of the providence proper rather than explore the, some of the theories, but we'll just talk about the way that it is working. Okay, we're done. We'll be back at 11 o'clock. Thank you.